Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. This morning, uh, about compassion and build on uh, the beautiful transmission that Nakaway offered us last night of this, this energy of compassion our capacity to be with suffering. Uh, I wanted to start by just sharing a a short story that I heard from um, some of the teachers here at IMS. One of the uh, kind of elders in our tradition was a a woman named Deepama who uh, grew up in um, Calcutta, Bangladesh, sort of the eastern part of India there, raised in a Buddhist family, um, and experienced tremendous suffering uh, in, her, in her life. She lost, I think, two of her children and then her husband, and she was just overcome with grief. It was bedridden, literally dying from grief. And um, she apparently like crawled up the steps to the meditation center in Burma. She was so weak and um, was an amazing yogi, just uh, made huge strides of progress very quickly and even surpassed her, her own teacher, Manindraji. And so she became a, a teacher for many of the senior teachers in our tradition, Joseph, Sharon, uh, many others. And uh, in the early days, she was teaching here, and this, uh, this one gentleman, Jack Angler, who's a psychologist out here in Boston now, connected to our community, uh, would go down to New York for various things. And on a number of trips, every time he would go down to New York, sort of his, his car radio would get stolen. He'd go, he'd park, and come back, no radio. Get it replaced, go down to New York again, come back to his car, no radio. So the third time this happens, he comes back up here, and Deepama happened to be visiting at that time, and he's sitting with Deepama, and you know, kind of agitated and upset about every time I go down, my, my radio gets stolen and like, what's going on with people? You know, why? And really upset. And Deepama just kind of looks at him and said, did you ever stop to think what their life must, must be like? And then she sort of closes her eyes and starts chanting softly. And he said that, you know, she was chanting metta phrases for the thief, the person who stole the radio. So one way of understanding these Brahma-viharas and in particularly this compassion aspect is that these are different ways of seeing. They're ways of orienting to life and seeing with our heart. So loving kindness sees the good in others. When we see someone smile, we see that brightness, that beauty, and the hearts move to kindness. Compassion is when our heart is oriented towards the suffering, when we see the human pain and hardship in someone's life. The natural response is compassion. And so Deepama, Jack was just seeing things through his own, his own self-story and lens, and Deepama was able to see and orient to the suffering of this person and to see their actions through that lens. And so compassion arose. 
mudita, which we'll be exploring, is when the heart is seeing and tuning into the joy and the happiness of another. It celebrates. And when the heart sees the inevitable changes of life and the limits of our control, the response is balance and spaciousness, equanimity, perspective. So compassion, this energy of compassion, is the willingness to turn towards suffering. And in seeing the suffering, the readiness to see if we can help. Not to go out and fix it, but to see if we can help. There's that availability. Like Nakawe said, Kuan Yin with that one leg up, she's ready, she's available. So compassion has both a receptive and an active component. The receptive component is the willingness to be with suffering. It's that which embraces and holds The active component is that availability to help. What do you need? How can I help? It's the title of one of Ram Dass's books, How Can I Help? And when we consider our usual responses to pain and suffering, we see how radical compassion is. When we're in pain, when we feel lonely or depressed or upset, how, how much of the time do we isolate? Or do we blame ourselves or someone else? Or maybe we feel embarrassed or ashamed. We try to shrug it off. I'm okay. It's all right. Don't worry about me. We minimize the pain or we avoid it. Right? We withdraw. We pretend it's not there or we try to bury it and numb out just to keep going. And sometimes we can do that for a whole lifetime. Or we get bitter, we get resentful, we kind of nurse the pain rather than healing it. Or how we relate to other people's pain. If we can't tolerate the discomfort of their pain, we can't be with it, we try to change or fix it in some way. We blame them. How many times have I told you? Or we avoid it. Oh, you'll be all right, don't worry, you'll get over it. We pretend it's not the not there. You know, we avoid the topic. Or, more commonly, we try to solve it. We try to fix it. We try to make it better. Because we can't tolerate it. These, these responses, these habitual responses, aren't the enemy. They're just what we've learned. It's just that we, we haven't developed a more helpful way of relating to the pain. We're just doing the best we can. And yet, as we know, all of these different responses just complicate it. Or they make it worse. Or they burn up our energy. It takes a lot of energy to suppress and avoid something. The Buddha talked about these Brahma Viharas as a protection for the heart. He said, this is the only protection you'll ever need for your heart. Because when we have the strength of compassion, the buoyancy of metta, the joy of mudita, the perspective of equanimity, we don't need to shut off, shut down, pull away. So instead of turning away from the suffering, we can turn towards it with tenderness. And when we can bear our own pain, 
we don't end up inflicting our suffering on others. When we're willing to feel our pain, to, to meet the difficulty, something beautiful can happen. We discover our own strength, our own resources, and we touch into a deeper truth that this is what it's like to be human. That our suffering actually connects us rather than it being something we need to be ashamed about or hide or pretend isn't happening. It's what we have in common, that we're vulnerable. We don't all suffer equally, but we are all equally vulnerable to suffering, right? Life can change like that on a dime for any of us. One of my first teachers uh, over in Asia, a very beautiful man by the name of Godwin Samararatne from Sri Lanka, he really encapsulated that energy of compassion just in his being. But he had this phrase that he used to say. He was a tall, thin man, very dark skin. He would always wear white. He was a layman. And Godwin would say, Sometimes when I don't feel so good, I like to tell myself in a very gentle way, it's okay to not feel okay. So beautiful. It's okay to not feel okay. That's compassion. We're not trying to change it. It doesn't need to go away. But there's something else holding it like Nakaway's godmother's hands, that energy of support and love right there at the edge meeting it. That's compassion. And compassion can look a lot of different ways, right? Sometimes compassion for ourselves means setting limits, affirming certain boundaries. We're saying no. So as we've mentioned, the far enemy of compassion is cruelty, is actually enjoying suffering, right? that impulse to inflict pain. The near enemy, the near miss of compassion is pity. So pity touches pain with aversion, with distance. It says, oh, that's, oh, that's so terrible, that thing that you're going through over there. It pulls away from it. Or sometimes we talk about sorrow, or overwhelm as the near enemy of compassion. We actually fall into the suffering. So some of the research that's been done on compassion, one of the surprising findings was that when highly advanced meditators enter a state of compassion, the pleasure centers of the brain light up. So true compassion is a very strong and stable state. It's not weak. We're not being overcome by the suffering. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of honesty, a lot of willingness to turn towards that which hurts, to have the willingness to really look and see, to stay with it and not fall in or pull away. And in compassion practice, that's the balance we're finding. We notice how the heart moves back and forth. We touch the pain, and then we start to fall in. And go, oh no, it's too much. We pull back, we pull back too far. And so we just keep finding that that right relationship of just holding it right there at the edge. 
So compassion is balanced in some ways by mudita, as Jill and Nakawe have both been speaking of, that sense of being able to hold open to the joy and the sorrow. It's also balanced by equanimity, by the wisdom that recognizes it's not up to me. It's not up to me. Otherwise, if we don't remember that, we start trying to control things and we burn out. That's when we get compassion fatigue, which is now being understood actually as empathic distress because true compassion doesn't get tired because it doesn't over-identify. So I'll offer a guided meditation this morning on compassion. And we'll do this in two parts. Um, First, we'll start with compassion for someone else. And the encouragement here, as with the metta, is to do it in the easiest way possible. So to find someone for whom it's relatively easy to feel compassion, right? We think about, you know, a puppy that hurt itself. It's like really easy to be like, oh, you're a poor little thing, you know? The heart just reaches out. Or if you're in a, you're in a supermarket and you see a little child, you know, four or five years old, <laughs> looking around, you know, say, hey, are you okay? Where's your mommy? Where's your daddy? Come, come, we'll find them. It's okay, you know? We're just right there. It's easy to access this quality. So to start where it's easy, to think of someone in your life who has some difficulty or challenge, not the most intense, awful thing they've ever faced, right? Just to tune into the energy, the frequency of compassion. So we'll start there. And then we'll turn the energy inwards to ourself. So having compassion for ourself is just like having compassion for someone else. So we touch into what it feels like to have compassion for, say, a friend in pain. And we recognize, okay, to have compassion, first I have to notice that they're suffering. I have to actually see the pain first. I have to be willing to stay with it. And then something in the heart softens. We allow ourselves to be moved. And then there's this natural impulse to be with it and to see if we can help. So if you're not already, I invite you to take up your, your meditation posture. Just finding that balance of ease, relaxation on the one hand, and some, some dignity, a sense of being upright, really present in the spine. Noticing the support of the earth and the weight of the body. Seeing if you can let your energy and the thoughts settle down and in like particulates in a liquid settling down, naturally sinking to the bottom. And at first, just allowing everything to be exactly how it is right now. 
You don't need to do anything or change anything. Just noticing what's here. In this moment, making space for and acknowledging this mind and body just as it is complicated imperfect human existence bringing some attention to the spine Allowing it to be long, almost imagining that the crown of your head could float upwards just a few millimeters and all of the space between the vertebrae, gently, ever so slightly expand and loosen. Letting the neck be long and the occipital joint at the base of the skull be open. Feeling the strength of that inner column of support. And seeing if you can begin to let the muscles and tissues of the body start to soften and relax around that central axis of the spine. You might naturally start to notice the rhythm of the body breathing. Allowing yourself to attune to that gentle, steady rhythm. Softening your attention, allowing the breath to just be part of the whole field of experience, sounds, sensations, thoughts or images, memories, just coming and going, the breath. Letting the heart be soft and open, kind of warm, receptive listening, 
space for everything. Then in your own time, bringing to mind a friend, another being, a moment that naturally touched your heart and moves you to compassion. So seeing that friend's image in your mind's eye and just getting a sense of them with your body maybe holding their hand or sitting next to them. So compassion is this way of seeing. We tune in to the difficulty, to the pain in another's heart, and then allow our heart to be moved soften consciously inviting the energy of compassion. So as you see their pain, as you attune to it, making a deliberate choice to not get wrapped up in the story. And instead, bringing your attention into your body, into your heart. Where do you feel the resonance with their pain? Can you start to open to that, to make space for it, to make space for it? How do you sense it in your heart, in your chest, your belly or your throat? 
Is it more of an ache? Does it feel tight or sharp? Hard? Maybe blank. Maybe there's just an awareness of the pain. And you bring your awareness right there to the edge and soften, hold it tenderly. okay to not feel okay. Finding the willingness, the courage to keep turning towards, to attune to and see the suffering without needing to fix it or change it, just being aware, just resting the attention right there in a very simple, direct way. Noticing if you start to lose balance, if you begin to fall in, tipping over towards sorrow, or if you begin to pull away or resist. And just finding that middle point, that place of balance that can hold and meet the pain with tenderness. helps, you can bring in a phrase or two to highlight and stay connected to compassion. May you be free from this suffering. May you hold this pain with tenderness.
I care. I care about your pain. May your pain be released, be eased. It's very common and natural to have difficulty with this practice. To find it hard to be with the suffering, to not fall in or shut down. That's why it's a practice. You just keep exploring, looking for that right relationship, that capacity to hold, to be with and soften. Remember, it's the wisdom of equanimity. It's not up to us. That allows us to stay right there in contact with the pain without getting flooded.
So in your own time, when you're ready, you can let the image or sense of that person fade. Taking a few moments to come back to the simplicity of just feeling your own body, strength and structure of your spine. Quiet rhythm of the breath. And then if you like, turning your heart's attention to yourself. Orienting towards a place of pain in your own life, taking care to not choose the most difficult. Remember, this is a gradual training. So we start where it's easy and build capacity. So making the pain conscious, finding that willingness to begin to turn towards the hurt. Make some space for it without plunging into the center of it. Be at first, you're just touching it a little bit with your awareness. Kind of like dipping your toe in a pool of water to test the temperature. Acknowledge it, feel it for a moment, and then can rest back with the body or the breath. And then starting to approach it with your awareness. Beginning to get a sense of its location, its shape. How does it live in you? Where, where is that pain? Can you bring this energy of compassion this quality of tender holding, just right there to the edge, just be with.
quiet, stable, and loving accompaniment. Again, if it's supportive, you can bring in a phrase or two. I find freedom with this suffering. May I hold this pain with tenderness. May this pain be eased, be released. I care, I care about this pain. Through my caring, may this pain be eased.
if the pain feels too strong or intense, zooming out a little bit, perhaps even using the breathing to soothe, to comfort, feeling and lengthening the out-breath, imagining some of the sensations melting, dissolving and draining out through the limbs. And when you're ready, just letting the whole thing fade and dissolve, giving yourself a few moments to transition. Coming back to the simplicity of the body, sounds, the breath.
So this is just an introduction to this terrain. It's not always an easy practice. It's hard to be with suffering. That's why we pull away from it. And yet when we start to find that balance and that energy of compassion that can hold the pain, we start to feel its strength, its resilience. It feels good to care. Compassion is about the caring So we bring the pain into the awareness, but it's the caring that we're strengthening. And so we explored a couple of different methods there, kind of more in a somatic way of sensing the pain in your own body and bringing attention to the edge of it, how you're holding it internally, using the phrases. You can also get creative with the compassion practice. There are many other ways to practice. So for example, you can imagine a benefactor, say an elder or you know, your dog or even a religious or historical figure, you know, Mother Mary, Kuan Yin, the Buddha, kind of looking at you, being with you and receiving the energy of compassion from them. A very powerful way to practice. Or some people find it helpful to practice compassion with either an older or younger version of themselves. So for example, seeing yourself as a small child and having compassion for that part of yourself. Or conversely, Imagining an older, wiser version of ourself, looking back and having compassion on us in the present. You can even kind of, as Jill was exploring yesterday morning, so the uh, understanding and uh, experience sometimes is that each of these qualities exists uh, actually, I guess it was it was JMO. Jill was speaking to it in, a, in another way too. Exists as a field that's there that we can tune into, kind of like a frequency. And so you can also just imagine compassion, kind of like a a field of energy almost around you, like a warm blanket or something. And just visualize it. Your 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 heart surrounded by the energy of compassion, and just kind of letting it permeate and soak in. Okay. There are many ways to explore it. One of, uh, one of the questions that's come up is, you know, could you speak about having metta for a difficult person? So sometimes when we think about someone who's, uh, with whom we have difficulty in our life, uh, and we think, okay, you know, I should offer kindness to this person, oftentimes actually what's needed first is compassion for ourselves. Because we're suffering. It's like we're in conflict with them. We're caught up. We're in pain. We're angry. We feel annoyed or disappointed or upset. So sometimes it can be helpful to just start with bringing some compassion to our own pain so that we're not alone with it. We're not ignoring it or pushing it aside. It really just being with that, holding it. And then to explore 
slowly extending metta to that person and just making space for whatever comes up. We learn what metta is by experiencing what it isn't. So whether it's using the phrases or some of the other methods that we've mentioned. And sometimes it can be helpful, particularly with a very difficult person, you might find that it helps at first to change the phrases slightly. So it might be really hard to say, you know, may you be happy. But can you say, may you be free from suffering? May you be free from danger? May you be free from fear and hatred? Right? So we have a little bit of time uh, if there are any questions, uh, either about the compassion practice or your practice in general. Please. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Uh, sure. So the question was, some of the phrases seem to be about being with the suffering, while others seem to be more about easing it. Is easing it turning away or trying to change it? And where's the balance? How do those relate? Um, So my understanding and experience is that when we bring awareness to pain, something happens. The nature of things is to change. It's only when we resist them that they don't change. So in being with the pain, it naturally will start to shift or move or change. So so for me, the phrases aren't different, whether I'm saying, you know, may you hold this pain with tenderness or may this pain be eased. They're pointing to the same energy and the same experience, just linguistically using different angles. It's that sense of holding tenderly and allowing whatever needs to happen, happen. So that sense of may this pain be eased is similar in intention to the metta in the sense that it's a gift, it's a wish rather than the energy of control. So rather than, may you be happy, you know, it's like, may you be happy. So rather than like, oh, may this pain be eased, like already, come on, you know. So no, like, you know, hey, I hope you get better. It's that sense of, of it's just the offering. So you can, you can also listen for or look to the intention to see what energy the phrase is coming with. Yeah, please, on the way back. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, So the question was, uh, do we recommend or do I recommend making the pain very specific rather than being with something more general if there's a sense of shame or embarrassment or loneliness? I think it depends Um, I would say that I think it's helpful in the beginning if you're new to this practice to make it very specific uh, because that that can help us find that energy and and relationship of compassion, right? Like if someone falls down, you're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? It's like it's right there, right? And you can feel it. 
Whereas, you know, it's like if we've been feeling depressed for the last few months and it's kind of this heavy cloud that's ambient that's hanging over us, it's a little harder to find the compassion, right? So I would say try to start with specific things to tune into the energy of compassion. And then we do have these experiences that are more diffuse, that don't seem to have a specific referent immediately. So in that sense, I would still make it specific in the, in the sense of where is the shame? How does it live in you? Does it feel small? Does it feel heavy? You know, does it, does it have kind of um, a dark or a frightened quality to it? Try to find the actual experience of the suffering, even though it might not have a specific moment in time. But in this moment right now, how does it live in you? And then that's what you're bringing the compassion to. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, please. So at this point, we've been given a number of tools and practices. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on how we can approach our compassion? Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's on my list. <laughs> so um, perfect segue. So um, the, the comment was, at this point, we've been given a number of tools and practices. And do I have any suggestions about how to approach the unguided practice, right? Like, there's a lot of hours in the day. It's a long day. Um, <clears throat> so um, I'll share something, and then Jill, if you want to add anything. Uh, I really like teaching with Jill because we have slightly different emphases in our own practice and teaching, and I think we balance each other nicely. Um, so I would, I would say, in my mind, the way I'm thinking about it is kind of consider there's two options. Okay? So option A would be, Continue with the formal, structured practice of metaphrases. Do it for yourself, a benefactor, a friend. If you've been doing that for a while and it feels strong and you've got access, great, move on to a neutral person. You, know, you do that for a while, half a day, a day. You want to turn tomorrow towards someone who's difficult, start working with someone who's difficult. And then within that, within the natural ups and downs of the day, as you're doing that, if you find you're thinking of whoever the object of the metta is and you notice there's some pain or suffering, then the metta starts to turn more towards compassion. And you could bring in the compassion phrases or you could continue with the metta phrases, but it just has that flavor of compassion. Or you notice that you're feeling really happy and joyful, or the person you're doing for it, the image of them in your mind starts to, they're really happy, it turns to more mudita. Okay? So that would, I say, would be one option. Okay? The other option would be more of an intuitive practice. Again, these qualities are not separate, like that diamond, that image of the diamond that, uh, that Jill mentioned. You have metta as the foundation, the compassion and the mudita balance each other, the joy and the sorrow. The story that Nakaway told last night of the Dalai Lama, so much suffering, so much joy. And then the equanimity that holds it all, that perspective. So it's all part of one heart, right? And these are just different facets of this capacity for empathy. Empathy is the human capacity to feel with whatever is presented. Joy, sorrow, goodness, so the sense is you can um, rest the attention with the heart. And so you might just be practicing the radiating metta, just resting with that energy of kindness. And either something comes into your awareness, 
Like, oh gosh, I got that call from so-and-so who just lost their job. Oh, compassion. So you stay with compassion for a while. That fades, you come back to the basic orientation of metta. Um, And just following what comes, that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it would be to just listen to your own wisdom, your own heart, and just kind of see what's needed. You know, you're going through the day and, you know, it's three in the afternoon, you start feeling kind of lonely, a little bored, it's getting kind of heavy, you know, maybe the sun goes away and if things feel melancholy, oh, maybe I'll do some compassion practice. You can kind of just follow the natural rhythm or flow of where your heart is and using the image of that diamond, just allow things to turn and shift. So is that helpful? So I would say like kind of choose one of those. I think the thing that where we can tend to get caught up is if we're always changing, like we're doing a little metta and it's like, eh, it's not really working. I think I'll switch to this other practice. We do that for, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, let's go back to metta. Oh, no, I should do mudita. I need some more energy. And we, we never actually settle and, and dig into anything. So I would say whatever you choose, stay with it for a while. If you're doing a more intuitive practice, when you're with one one of those orientations, give yourself some time to be with it. Anything you want to add? The only thing I would add is to notice any anxiety about getting it wrong. Because <laughs> you, you really can't do this wrong. The fact that you're here and you're cultivating this intention, that is awesome. And anything else that happens is really icing on the cake. So, again, just to give yourself permission to experiment and enjoy, and as best you can, let go of sense of, am I doing it right? Is it happening? Notice the expectations, the models, the ideals you might have. Let them go and just keep coming back to the heart and trust that. Sadhu. So... uh at the end of our time here, just a couple of um, couple of no- notes or uh, requests. So one is, um, uh, if you write a note on the board to the office, um, or you're really struggling, you need something, you write a note to one of us, please sign your note. We can't respond if it's not signed. Even if you have just a general comment, that you're like, oh, I don't need to hear back from you guys. We would still like you to sign your notes. It's very helpful to us. Um, thank you to everyone who's volunteered to be a practice leader and ring the bell. Uh, really appreciate your generosity to the Sangha for that. Um, and just wanted to point out there's a little sheet in here in the bell. So when it's your turn, uh, we've listed the times, the ending times that we'd like you to ring the bell at each of those sittings. So you can refer back to that. We do have more small group meetings today. If you have not checked the board yet, please check the board as we said yesterday, it's really challenging to try to reschedule if you miss a meeting because it's such a full retreat uh, and we don't have lots of uh, extra time and energy. So check the board uh, for your group. And uh, if you're not up there today, don't worry. We'll have, we have a few more groups tomorrow. All right. Enjoy your day of practice. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.